Welcome back to the Der Show. I don't usually talk a lot about uh, culture or about films or other such things, but uh, last night my wife and I were treated to see an unbelievable movie that none of you can see. None of you can see. It's been banned. It's been censored. I got a chance to see it because I met the producer and I told him how upset I was that I couldn't see this film and he sent me a copy of it to watch. But the film has been banned in America, even though it may be one of the greatest films of the um, of the century. It's a film called J'accuse, uh, which is about the uh, false accusation against um, uh, a, a, a French general named Alfred Dreyfus uh, at the end of the 19th century, the beginning of the 20th century. It was a formative case. It um, brought down uh, the French government, it uh, damaged the French church, it damaged the French military, and uh, it also contributed to the creation of the state of Israel because uh, Theodor Herzl uh, was a journalist, a young journalist covering the case, and he saw the rampant anti-Semitism in France. Dreyfus was Jewish, not a practicing Jew, an assimilated Jew. But because he was Jewish, they, uh, they made a scapegoat out of him, and they accused him of being a spy for um, for the Germans. Um, I'm hoping maybe this podcast and others will get you to be able to see the show, so maybe I won't tell you the, the ending. But the, the movie is fantastic. It's in French, but it, I got it with English subtitles, and it stars great French, great French actors. I'm a student of the Dreyfus case. I actually own an original copy of Jacques Hughes uh, as it appeared in the newspaper in 19-whatever, and, um, and I've studied it, and I've taught it, and I've written about it. So for me, I've just always wanted to see this film. And every time I go to YouTube or any of the other things, it says not available in your area or not available in the United States or not yet available in the United States. So, of course, I did some research and checked. And sure enough, it's, it's, it's been canceled. It's been censored, uh, not because of the content of the film. The film's great, but because of the acts of the director, 30-some years earlier. The director is Roman Polanski, and Roman Polanski did a terrible thing uh, 30 or so years ago. He had sex with a, a very young uh, woman, and uh, he was uh, charged and uh, arrested and um, uh, went to trial in California, and then escaped and uh, went to France, where he's been living openly the rest of his life, and um, you can be justly critical of him, just like you can be justly critical of Renoir, Picasso, and uh, so many other people who uh, lived lives and treated women in ways that nobody would find acceptable today. But uh, should we go through museums now and take out the pictures of Picasso or Renoir, uh, the statues of Rodin? Um, you couldn't find very many great artists uh, who could pass that test. I think the same would be true of many prominent um, uh, musicians and, and authors. Um, are we really going to go around taking books off shelves and banning music? Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we were not allowed to listen to the music of Richard Wagner because he was, um, although he didn't live at the time of Nazism, uh, he was an anti-Semite and he was a friend of, um, he was uh, uh, somebody who Hitler admired enormously and Hitler played Wagner in music all the time. So we were told as kids not to not to listen to his music. Doesn't doesn't mean the New York Philharmonic didn't play it. Of course it did. Even the Israel Philharmonic, uh, in the last uh, ten or fifteen years, has now played Wagner. 
Um, but the idea that there is a great film out there, a really, really wonderful film that everybody should watch, and you can't see it because some operachnik, some suit, somebody somewhere in uh, Netflix or YouTube or I don't know where uh, has made a decision, no, we're not going to allow a film to be shown to Americans, even though the film itself is perfectly wonderful, just because we don't like uh, what the person who directed the film uh, did. Now, does that mean we have to ban Chinatown? Does that mean that's the other film, the other that we have to ban the piano or Rosemary's Baby? I mean, the 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 the, the films that Roman Polanski have made have been uh, unbelievable. They have been among the greatest films um, in the 20th century and now in the 21st century. Um, but you need a reckoning, and the reckoning means uh, cancellation. Cancellation means uh, censorship. Um, and if this, there could be no more appropriate film to be seen uh, today by Americans and by people all over the world. By the way, people all over the world can see it, but Americans can't see it. Um, and we live in an age of Me Too, and we live at a time when, um, obviously, people are falsely accused. Many people are falsely accused. I have a friend in, who's a lawyer in, um, in Los Angeles who represents a lot of prominent Hollywood people. She was telling me she's writing out every week checks for $100,000 to unknown people who have never met the star or the producer but who come in and say, look, um, I remember once having sex with them uh, 25 years ago, and unless you pay me $100,000, I'll go to the press with it. And the star or the producer will say, pay, pay the money. You know, we can't afford the publicity. It's a million dollars or $10 million worth of publicity. I would not have paid my accuser a single penny. Um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, obviously, uh, it's had an enormous, enormous negative effect on, on my life. Um, and, and, and that's why I wrote a book about it. I wrote a book called Guilt by Accusation. Uh, where I lay out uh, all the arguments. I don't stand by all those arguments. Some of the arguments are no longer valid because things have changed since that time. There have been depositions. And of course, most importantly, there's been the statement by the woman herself who says, I now recognize that I may have made a mistake in identifying Alan Dershowitz. Well, the same thing happened in the Dreyfus case. What happened is a bunch of uh, army people and who wanted to preserve the integrity of the army uh, were willing to uh, fake uh, documents. And uh, they got a phony handwriting expert who was prepared to say that a handwritten note that was clearly done by the person who was the spy had the same handwriting as, as Dreyfus um, expert analysis since that time has proved that it bore almost no resemblance. And they just made it up. It bore a very close resemblance to another officer named Esterhazy, uh, who was eventually uh, convicted. Uh, of of the crime and 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 um, uh, Dreyfus was completely exonerated and um, uh, uh, and allowed to live as a hero and uh, but you know he spent eight years in Devil's Island all alone he was the only person on the island other than a guard who was not permitted to speak to him he was in a little room uh, on this island um, and uh, was able to write occasional letters to his loved ones. But other than that was uh, outside of any communication. And his conviction fomented an enormous amount of anti-Semitism. He was regarded as, quote, the Jew traitor. Um, and um, uh, there were all kinds of threats against Jews. Um, one publication talked about Jews as vermin who should be 
uh, exterminated the way exterminators come in and exterminate vermin, a metaphor that was then used by Nazis um, 30 years uh, or so later. Um, and so it was a very, very important case. And, and, and the movie um, allows the case to unfold. And it it's, has a really interesting hero. The hero is an anti-Semite, a man who hates Jews and who says to Dreyfus early in his uh, officership, look, I, I don't like you people. I don't like Jews, um, but I would not let it affect my grading of your um, uh, abilities. Um, I gave you low grades, not because you were Jewish, but because you deserved the low grades. It, it's the way the movie essentially starts. And then the hero, a guy named Picard, uh, an officer in the army, slowly, gradually comes to realize that the army, first he thought they made an honest mistake, and then, of course, they discover that it wasn't an honest mistake at all. It was a frame-up. Um, but, um, but the man who reveals the frame-up is this, you hate to say it, but this principled anti-Semite. And, and the thing that Polanski does so well is, like Shakespeare, his characters are not, are not black and white, um, even Iago and uh, Macbeth, uh, Hamlet, um, you know, these are not black and white characters. Uh, Shylock, these are complex characters who have virtues and, and vices. And, um, and the same thing is true with this officer Picard, uh, who continues with his bigotry and continues with his, you know, uh, worshiping of the, uh, of the army. And uh, yet he can't live with himself when he realizes that there's an innocent man on Devil's Island. And he works to uncover the truth. And, um, um, and the story becomes complicated and uh, it doesn't have a simple uh, resolution, but the resolution that history has given it is very clear. And now everybody realizes that the Dreyfus case was a, a paradigmatic example of a false accusation of a frame-up. Um, initially, I suspect that some people in the army thought they were framing a guilty man. They thought he was guilty because he was Jewish. And Jews, we know, can't be loyal to their country. They only do it for money. Uh, they admitted that Dreyfus couldn't have done it for the money because he was very wealthy um, and his family was very wealthy. I don't know if he was related to Julie Dreyfus, the, the actress. I think I once heard that there was a, a distant relation. When I was in Israel most recently, I got a call saying a woman would like to meet you. And um, so my wife and I went and we were told to meet her under the statue of Dreyfus, uh, which is in Tel Aviv. And we meet under the statue of Dreyfus, Dreyfus's great granddaughter, uh, who never met uh, Alfred Dreyfus. She's too young for that. But um, we were able to talk about the history of the family, what happened to the family and, and um, what the results of this uh, terrible case uh, were. Uh, this is one case where history vindicate, vindicated truth. Um, how many cases are there where truth gets buried with the falsely convicted uh, defendant or truth gets buried um, with the lawyer or the judge uh, or the prosecutor who knew that there was a frame up? I've had several cases where the police have tried to frame guilty people people they honestly believe were guilty. The most famous, of course, was the O.J. Simpson case. Uh, we know that the police honestly believe that O.J. Simpson was guilty. And most Americans think that he was guilty. 
And what the police did in that case, an officer named Van Adder, is he planted blood evidence, DNA evidence, uh, on the sock that O.J. Simpson had been wearing, and um, he planted evidence of O.J. Simpson's blood and the blood of a victim. What a fantastic piece of evidence. And I am convinced he did it because he was, was absolutely certain of two things. Number one, O.J. Simpson did it. Number two, he'd get away with it unless there was enhanced evidence. So he enhanced the evidence, made it better, and we caught him. And the jurors at the end, we, some of the jurors were interviewed, and they said that um, the reason they acquitted was not necessarily because they thought he was uh, innocent, but because they couldn't convict somebody uh, based on uh, manufactured evidence by the police that that was set to too terrible um, a precedent. And, um, and that was one case. The other case was the Klaus von Bülow case, where um, I remain convinced, too, that um, some people thought he was probably guilty, and they decided to plant evidence against him, and we caught them, too. Um, you know, <laughs> if you're representing a guilty person uh, as a defense lawyer, there's nothing you could hope for more than the police or the FBI or the family trying to frame him. Because we're going to catch the frame up. We're going to find it. Uh, a lot of my victories have been that. That is, I didn't prove the defendant innocent. I proved the police guilty. And under American law, that can be a basis for a retrial or a basis for a dismissal in extreme cases. So in the Dreyfus case, uh, it started out just as, gee, what an honest mistake. We really thought the handwriting was similar. We didn't look at Esther Hazy's handwriting. Maybe we jumped to conclusions too quick because we stereotyped because he was a Jew. All of that. But in the end, the evidence became overwhelming that people in the army uh, forged documents and created false uh, evidence. And the judges went along with it. And uh, even when all the evidence came out, initially, they didn't want to do anything about it because the honor of France, the honor of the army, the honor of the church. And, and, and uh, France was divided um, into groups. Um, artists were, were, were divided. Uh, many of the most prominent artists were anti-Dreyfus arts. Many were pro-Dreyfus. Uh, um, um, many of the most important politicians later on in the 20th century, um, began their careers by either supporting Dreyfus or opposing uh, Dreyfus. And in the end, the army was right. Um, exposing the truth would destroy the honor of the army, and it did. And look at what's happened to the French army over the last, uh, you know, 100 uh, years. Um, and um, so uh, it really did have an impact, and one could understand without ever justifying one can understand how officers who believe their role is to preserve the army and, and nothing else, uh, one can easily understand how they might go to great lengths to preserve the honor of the army, even if it meant, as one person put it in the movie, one Jew spending his life on, on uh, Devil's Island? Big deal. You know, uh, that's not a problem. It's, it's not nearly as important as the honor of the army. And Picard says, no, no, no. The honor of the army depends on how we treat um, individuals. So I urge you all to try to get this film uh, right to your uh, to Netflix, right to YouTube, right to all the places that you usually get your movies. Uh, look it up. You can see a coming attraction. You can see a trailer um, on um, if you just Google uh, Jacques Hughes by Polanski, you can see a trailer. You can't see the movie. 
unless things have changed very quickly because we tried to do it yesterday and we couldn't we couldn't get it i'm not the most technologically adept so it's conceivable that if you have any 16 year old relatives in the house maybe they could find a way to get it from europe and bring it over here but i'm pretty sure that the film has been essentially censored and banned in the United States, and um, I, I would hope that uh, you would put pressure on um, the various video uh, companies to make the film available to you. You can make your own judgment if you don't want to watch it, because Roman Polanski uh, was the person who directed it. Fine, nobody's making you watch it. But if you want to watch it, and you want to watch it and hold your nose, uh, you can do that. But no, no government agency and no private uh, agency, no film company should have the power to tell you what you can watch and what you can't watch, particularly when it doesn't relate to the content of the film, when it relates only to the actions of the person who directed the film. You know, it's Thomas Jefferson. Uh, it's taking down statues. It's uh, not looking at people's whole careers and lives. Um, Roman Polanski is a great, great filmmaker and who did a terrible, terrible thing. And we're smart enough to be able to separate those two things. And I hope we can. And I hope maybe this podcast maybe will help to get that film released and available to you. And I have only one thing to say to you. If you get to see that film, watch it, watch it, watch it once, watch it twice. You will absolutely enjoy it. And you will see its incredible relevance to today. Now, there are some people who say that that Polanski made this film because he was accused, but he's never claimed to have been falsely accused. Uh, he has essentially admitted uh, what, what he did, um, maybe minimized its impact, but he has never denied, um, you know, having sex with an underage person. Um, um, but uh, nonetheless, um, is that something that should impact all of his films? Now, you know, people say he made this film to show what happens when you take accusations at face value, it doesn't seem to really vindicate that. Because as I say, Dreyfus was entirely innocent. It wasn't a gray area, whereas uh, Roman Polanski was not innocent. And so um, watch the film and um, I hope you can get it. And um, I hope that the media stations are wise enough to realize that this kind of censorship is so un-American. So let's turn to questions. There were two big issues in the last couple of um, shows, mostly in the last show. One was the, the China balloon, uh, where everybody was on the same side, basically. They should have shut down the balloon. They should have shut it down sooner. Uh, we'll hear tonight in the State of the Union message. I'm sure the reason they didn't shoot it down sooner, and whether it's persuasive or not, I leave to you. I'm looking forward to the State of the Union message. I'm not looking forward to a uh, brilliant uh, Kennedy-like oratory, um, but uh, I am looking forward to um, a reasonable, sensible, moderate talk from a reasonable, sensible, moderate uh, uh, president who I, I voted for um, and probably will vote for again if he runs. Don't know whether he's going to run. Don't know who he's going to run against, so I reserve my right to change my mind, but I'm generally satisfied with uh, what I call our B-plus president with great inflation. Um, I don't think he's a failure. I think he's done a commendable job considering everything 
that uh, came before him and everything that he's confronted now. But, you know, you're going to disagree with that, and please, and please do. So that was one series of letters. They almost all said, should have shut it down, should have shut it down sooner, etc. The other was the challenge I posed. For those of you who think that race and sex shouldn't be taught in the public schools, why do so many of you think religion should be taught in the public schools? If you're saying the only things that should be taught in the public schools are math and and geography and science, uh, things that uh, really aren't matters of opinion, why are you willing to have religion in the school? What could be more of a matter of opinion? Even if you only allowed Christian prayer in the schools, of course, that would be unconstitutional. But even if you did, the Baptists would be fighting with the Presbyterians, who would be fighting with the Unitarians, who would be fighting with the Congregationalists, who would be fighting with, you know, everybody else. So religion is one of the most divisive forces in our society. You know, schools try to avoid that by having the Lord's Prayer. But even there, there are several versions of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, the Lord's Prayer is a Christian prayer, essentially. It's nothing in it that uh, is against Judaism or even against Islam. But it's a Christian prayer. And um, as a public school student, I would not want to be compelled to say it or even pressured by peer uh, pressure to say it. I just don't think uh, the Lord's Prayer or any prayer deserves a place in school. I think in school has every bit as much right as a a religious person without regard to their religion. Okay. Hmm. Got to disagree with you, Dershowitz, on religion. It's on our money. Yeah, it's on our money. Shouldn't be, but it is. Um, it, it used to be in the Pledge of Allegiance. I think it still is. Um, it's on the Declaration of Independence. It is. The Declaration of Independence is a different thing because there's no law. When the Declaration of Independence was written, Jefferson couldn't point to any law. Jefferson was, as you know, a deist. He was not a religious person. He didn't think there was an intervening God. But he put God in the Declaration of Independence in order to cite an authority for his principles because he couldn't cite the law. But then when the Constitution came along, godless Constitution, not a word about God in the Constitution. The only things about religion is you can't establish a religion and you can't have a religious test. So there's also free exercise of religion, but there's nothing uh, about God or Jesus or or religion at all in, in the Constitution. Um, the shoe doesn't fit on the other foot. When you advocate for a single religion taught in school, I wasn't advocating for that. I was advocating against it. Uh, there would be absolute outrage, even among Christians. Baptists would demand their interpretation. The same goes for Catholics, Lutherans, and every other religious sect. By the way, probably how many of you know that the Jewish version of the Ten Commandments is different than the Catholic version of the Ten Commandments? Um, the Jewish version, by the way, is not called the Ten Commandments because the first of the alleged Ten Commandments is not a commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. That's number one. That's not a commandment. That's a statement. So the Hebrew version of the Ten Commandments is called Aseret Hadibrot, the Ten Statements. And in Christianity, they number the um, content differently. So even if you have, as they used to have in Alabama in front of the courthouse, the Ten Commandments, you have to ask yourself, who's Ten Commandments? And so you, what are you going to have to have? 16 different versions of the Ten Commandments, or at least two or three, on the lawn. And what about those who don't believe in it? So, you know, I just think that um, 
if you're against the teaching of um, sex and, and, and race in the schools, and I am, by the way, sex and race are in the Constitution. Obviously, race is all over the Constitution, <clears throat> particularly the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. Sex is there, too. Of course, the right to vote based on sex shall not be taken away. So you could teach sex and race based on the Constitution. But it's, we all agree that it's not a good thing to have teachers teach because we just don't trust them uh, with matters of opinion like this. They will allow their opinions to uh, influence the students too much and to create peer pressures. Uh, here's somebody who says the opposite. Religion absolutely should not be taught in school, but it shouldn't be treated as though it doesn't exist. I agree. I think you can have and you should have lessons about the role of religion in history. That's fine. You know, various wars uh, in the 16th, 17th century were fought over religion. The Reformation uh, was a major event in, in history. And so religion, uh, description of the role of religion should be taught. It's religious doctrine, religious dogma shouldn't be taught. That's at least my view. Um, this is a good one. Professor, a group of students from Our Lady of the Rosary were visiting Smithsonian during a pro-life rally in Washington. The students were wearing pro-life beanies since they had been in the rally. An employee from the Smithsonian kicked out both the students and their parents for refusing to take off the caps. The employee said they could not wear the hats because they were politically themed. Can the parents sue, and should they sue over suppression of free speech? It's interesting. The leading Supreme Court case involved a young man who walked into a federal courthouse uh, with a political slogan emblazoned on the back of his shirt. It was not a particularly polite political slogan. It said, fuck the draft. And the Supreme Court upheld the right of a person to do that in the, court, in the courtroom. Now, if the Smithsonian, though, has an absolute rule saying no political uh, speech, no political symbols are allowed, this becomes a harder question. Of course, some people will say pro-life is a religious principle. And of course, they couldn't ban a Jew from wearing a kippah, a yarmulke. They couldn't say you have to take off your hat if you come into the Smithsonian. That case has been won. Um, but could they say that you can't have uh, oh, I can show you something. It's, it's interesting. I'll just take one second. This is, uh, uh, no, yeah, this is, this is not political, though. <laughs> but when I went to the, to the White House uh, for a Hanukkah party a few years ago, um, I was given this yarmulke with the seal of the president. And it says on it, uh, the White House, Washington, D.C. So if I were to wear that, I don't know, maybe that would be seen as political. Um, also, when I was at a demonstration a few years ago, somebody gave me a, a kippah, a yarmulke, which had Trump on it. And so I wonder if the um, Smithsonian would have kept out an Orthodox Jew wearing a Trump kippah. Good question, no necessary answer. I accept your challenge. When our founding fathers came over, um, in one hand, they put the flag on the sand a flag on the sand of Virginia Beach, and in the other hand, the Bible dedicated to the land in Jesus Christ's name. Of course, that's right. I mean, the, the pilgrims were extremely religious. Uh, they went on to making our Constitution, 
which included following God's ways. No, not necessarily. I think God had anything to say about separation of powers and checks and balances and stating our freedom from him. When schools were started, God was part of the curriculum. It's true. Not long ago, we pledged allegiance to God when facing the flag at school. All of that's true. That doesn't make it right. Uh, we're a much more diverse country than we ever were in the past. We have, I don't know, 100 religions in this country and probably 100 non-deistic philosophies. And so um, we live in a different country. And I think that, as I mentioned yesterday, George Washington's letter uh, to the Jewish community of Newport is worth reading for everybody. And one of these days on the show, I'll show it to you and read it. I, I don't have an original copy, but I have a replica of it and I keep it uh, close to me because it's such an important document. Um, okay. Neither sex or religion should be taught in school. My arguments are consistent. First Amendment applies. Private religious schools are available for those purposes. I agree with you. I went to a private religious school and we prayed. Of course, that was half the day was devoted to prayer and religion. But my parents made a choice to not send me to public school, to send me for religious education. And um, uh, that's a choice that most parents have. Very poor people probably can't even afford the low tuition of some schools. Some schools are very high tuition, but most of them do have scholarship programs. So you're right. If you want to have prayer in the schools, you should um, you should go to a private school. But if you want to go to a public school where all Americans are equal, I don't think prayer is the right thing. And I don't think giving opinions about sexuality or about um, race um, is the right thing. I don't think schools should be teaching um, and advocating and promulgating and propagandizing about such divisive and controversial issues. Uh, see you tomorrow.